0: Yeah, there's, There are three things you can do, and these things are very short and very simple. In the first 15, 10 to 15 seconds of any conversation, you can give your audience the three things they need to be ready and prepared and engaged with what you want to talk about.
1: Welcome to the Art of Communication,
0: where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business
1: more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life, so let's start the conversation
2: with your host, Greg Rice. What's up, guys? Hope everybody's having a great day today. On this interview, I got to talk with Chris Fenning. Chris is the author of the award-winning book, The First Minute, which focuses on how we can all be more effective communicators by focusing on how we position the conversation within that first 60 seconds. I'm telling you, this is really powerful stuff. He's also a coach, trainer, and speaker, helping companies around the world to communicate more effectively, with a heavy focus on helping IT experts communicate more effectively with folks who are less technical (laughs) in nature. So we talked about why does that communication divide exist in the first place between technical and non-technical folks. We got into his really simple strategy for framing the conversation in a very effective way in the first 15 seconds of any conversation. And then we talked about what do you, now that you have their attention in that first 15 seconds, what do you do to focus on having the most efficient impact possible within that conversation? So Chris has done some great work here, really simplifying some very powerful concepts in a way that we can all really easily apply. So anyone out there who wants to have more effective and confident and efficient conversations, you should really be getting out your notebook now for this interview. Chris, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to get to talk to you today.
0: Thanks, Greg, thank you for having me.
2: For sure, for sure. You've done a lot of great work around how to communicate in a brief and focused way. And I think a lot of our listeners could use that, especially me. So I'm excited to dive into it, but I'm curious how you kind of got in this unique space to begin with.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for for that, that intro. I'm glad that it is it is useful for you. How I got into this is how a lot of people get into things with a bump and a very uncomfortable situation, a very uncomfortable experience for me. So I, I came out of university with an engineering degree and I went into a defense technology company. So I was heavily on the tech engineering side rather than the business side. And at the same time, I I did a lot of talking, not necessarily very well, but I did a lot of talking and I had confidence, which meant I was often picked to give presentations, to give talks, to be the person to stand up. And in the course of one of these presentations to a big client, I was given an opportunity to present to a big client. A lot of executives were there and about 5 minutes into the presentation my manager asked me to stop and i had to sit down and they finished the presentation for me it was it was it was brutal it was absolutely demoralizing it was my time to shine i'd come in with all of this confidence and it ju- i just tanked completely for for a number of reasons and that was the moment that i realized that Having confidence and being picked on to talk because you're more confident than everybody else, doesn't make you a good communicator. So I came down with a bump and and that was the that was the moment that I thought I okay, I need to learn how to do this better. So with that as the encouragement and experience that that prompted me to move forward, I then proactively looked at learning communication, and I learned from those around me and I read books and watched videos and so on. And then through my career after that, I had a lot more experience in roles that were both technical and business. So I took that experience. And then as my career shaped, I ended up having a foot in both the technical and the business camps, which exposed me to, again, two very different styles of communication. And all of that led to where I am now, which is helping IT and technical people talk to their business counterparts.
2: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I want to definitely dive into some of the fundamentals of what you learned and how we can communicate more effectively. But you kind of mentioned the gap there between technical folks, you know, engineers, IT folks, et cetera, and maybe your everyday business person. I'm curious of your thoughts on why that gap exists in the first place. And 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 how can we start to overcome that gap in general beyond just one conversation here and there? You know, within an organization, how can you adjust the culture to maybe address that a little
0: bit? Okay, so a couple of big big questions in there. So first of all, why does the (laughs) gap exist? I believe, and others that I've spoken to believe, that the gap between technical and business roles, business stakeholders and, and, and IT staff, exists because we don't train to close that gap. There's a lot of training in technical degrees. Almost none of it is communications training. I did a review of the top 10 computer science degrees in the UK. And of over 600 modules, fewer than six were related to communication. Three of those were about network communication. So it was a technical communication topic. And the Mm -hmm. other three were optional. So people are coming out of university and they're not being taught communication topics. Whereas if you do a more business degree or really any other degree, there's a lot more communication. There's either dedicated communication topics, particularly if you do a business degree, or there are more opportunities to be exposed to work-like conversation and debate in other types of education situation. So we don't train for it. And we bring technical people out of university and put them in in the workforce and say, well, now you should be a good communicator. So education is is a huge gap in training workplace communication. And another reason is that techies have a hard job learning this, not for the usual reasons. I'm I'm not gonna go into sort of personality types and so on. The stereotypes aren't important. Uh What is important is the sheer volume of information that particularly IT developers need to learn just to stay on top of their work, just like medicine. If you do a medicine degree or a technical engineering degree, you have the most classes. You've got more than English lit. You've got more than a language. You've got more than the business classes. So your schedule is already packed at university. And then when you leave university, you still have to learn to stay current with your technology. Just like doctors have to stay current with changing medical practices, so do technical staff. And that eats up time outside of work. And it, it takes that portion of yourself that you can apply to learning, and they have to continue learning just to be relevant in their jobs, which means they have less time, less effort <laughs> to be able to apply to learning communication as well. So the initial gap and then less time to learn afterwards both make it very difficult for technical specialties to really excel in communication.
2: I think that's really interesting. Before you dive into kind of how can we address it from a cultural perspective, a couple other things that kind of jump to mind is different languages. You know, if if you're a technical person, you're flooded every day within the language that you're speaking with other technical people, which is different than what folks and, and maybe a, a different line of business might be speaking. So it's harder to communicate that way. And then also just a different focus on what you're looking to accomplish. I've done a lot of work with customer service leaders specifically who do a lot of work with IT professionals who are trying to you know rebuild the customer service architecture maybe, or rebuild their their digital self-service technology. And their focuses are very different, right? The IT folks are assessing vendors, understanding capabilities, all the technical stuff. While the people on the front line, I think about how can we use this most effectively, what's going to fit best into our day to day. And they just have different goals in mind. So, as I think about the cultural solution, I think it's, part of it is about aligning the vocabulary and aligning those goals between the two. But love to hear your thoughts.
0: Yes, you, you've described, you've almost answered it for me. It's great. <laughs> I'll <can't> try <laughs> not to repeat back too much. The, this relates to how do you overcome the challenge of people talking across that divide? And the goal is to have business and IT teams communicate with the same language. And you mentioned that they have different languages because they have different experiences. They're living in worlds that are measured differently. The goals, the KPIs, the processes, the systems all have different names. And the problem is so, while the goal is to have them speak the same language, the problem is technical topics literally use a different language to describe things. Mm -hmm. And the solution is to make sure whichever group you belong to, whether it's business or technical, whichever group you belong to, make sure what you say is relatable to the other person. And it's got to be relatable to what they care about and done at the highest level of summary that you can possibly reach. Now, I'll give an example of this. If you have a leaky pipe in your house, you call a plumber. Now, imagine the plumber looked at the pipe and then pulled out the blueprints for your entire house, gave you a detailed explanation of how all the valves and pumps and all the pipes all connected together, and then started to talk about fixing your pipe. You don't care about any of that. You care about getting the pipe fixed. So the plumber doesn't come into your house with all the blueprints. They come in and they fix the pipe and they say, here's what it is, here's what it's going to cost because they communicate with you about the things that you care about. And plumbers, tradesmen, lots of different jobs learn this because they have regular interactions multiple times a day with their customers. And if they don't do that well, if they don't communicate well, they don't get extra business. So that communicating in a way that relates to what your audience understands, like the plumber talking about the leaky pipe rather than talking about the blueprints, is the same analogy that technical and IT folks should keep in mind when talking to the business. Don't pull out the system diagram. Don't talk about the widgets and the details and how everything works. Think about what the customer wants and explain it in terms from their perspective. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say. It's very difficult to do, and it takes regular practice. Plumbers, mechanics, tradespeople, they do it well because they have to do it multiple times every day. IT staff tend to do it at very infrequent intervals when they interact with the business. And so that's a challenge because they don't get the repetition in the practice. Makes sense.
2: Yeah. And I'm curious about the other side of that coin, right? If I'm the business person talking to the IT person. And so the IT person may have a general understanding of the customer side, right? Like they know that this technology does this, this is how customers are going to use it. If I'm the business person, I don't really have a good understanding of KPIs and IT aspects to be able to put it in your language. So how can I kind of blend that gap? And I come from it from that viewpoint, because that's usually the viewpoint I'm on. I'm not technical. I don't typically work with technical people. So I'd love to get your thoughts on how we can kind of speak a little bit more in their language and bridge that gap from our side.
0: Yeah. The first thing I would suggest is don't try and learn the technical topic, Mm -hmm. because you'll end up in that trap of having to learn a bunch of stuff all the time just to keep current. What you can do is ask questions of your technical teams about how the systems support what you want to need and ask questions to the point that you don't understand anymore or you don't really care anymore, but you'll still get a better idea of which widgets and applications support the functionality that you like. The second thing is talk about what outcome you're looking for and why you want that outcome. And what I mean by that is don't say, I want this thing. Let's say you're on a, on a website. You're asking for changes on a website front end. Don't say, I want a field here with this number in it. Because there are 17 different ways you can get that field. What you really care about is what are you going to do with that? What's that number for? What's the goal? Because all of that information will help the technical team build the right solution on the back end. So that they'll put that number in the right database so you don't end up having to do a lot more complicated work later. So if you describe the kind of why you're doing something and the outcome you're hoping to achieve, the purpose of it, that gives automatic context for the technical teams that will support you. And it also enables a discussion rather than a directive.
2: I think it's a great point. I think another mistake that we all make in conversation is that we assume everybody knows that, right? Like I'm telling you, I want this number in this field on the website and I know why that is. And I just kind of assume that you know that as well. And you have no idea because I haven't told you. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah so, yeah. so let's pull back from the kind of the IT focus and just talk about conversations in general. And I'd like to kind of start with what, what do you see as some of the biggest mistakes that we make when we're having kind of business and professional conversations?
0: The biggest mistakes that we make, uh, there's a there's a long list, <laughs> but the most common and the most impactful mistake is we assume when we, as soon as we start talking, we assume the other person is already on the same page as us.
2: Mm. I love that. I don't love that uh, it happens. I love that perspective though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And if, if everyone's wondering what this means, there's an example that... I'd be surprised if anyone hasn't had this. You either are sitting down at dinner with a family member, or you walk into a room and your family member, partner, whomever, looks at you and goes, oh, um, they've changed the rules again. And then while you're trying to work out, well, who is they and what what rules? And uh, what do you mean again? What are we talking about? That other person is saying, well, aren't you going to answer me? What do you think about that? And you think, well, what on earth are you talking about? I have, I have no idea. what's the, what's the context? Stop using pronouns. <laughs> ah, you feel ambushed by a question, and the reason is, is you've walked into that room with an, an infinite number of possible other things in your head. So your your partner, when they talk to you, sir, so they've got something in their head, and they think you are on the same page already. So they give you a statement, or they start a conversation, and you're just not prepared to have it. And we do the same thing at work. And this can happen even when we think people are on the same page. So let's say you were in a meeting with a a peer, with a colleague, and that meeting was about the accounts for the month. The meeting ends, you get up, you walk out, and you want to talk to that other person about the accounts. So you start talking. You think they're still going to be thinking about the accounts. I mean, you've just spent an hour talking about it. Their head might be on picking up the kids, designing something else, any number of other things. So when you start talking, you must never assume the other person knows what you're going to talk about or is anywhere close to being on the same page as you.
2: Yeah, so true. And my wife and I always suffer from that because we think very differently. So like whatever's going on in my head is usually very different than what's going on in her head. And if we're talking Same. about something like the perspective I have is very different than hers. And I often don't realize that until it's too late. <laughs> so it's something <laughs> that we, we have to navigate plenty often. It's funny. We were talking just the other day and I, um I, I said something like, I got an extra hour of sleep today. I feel great. You know, I should try to get an extra hour of sleep more often. And she didn't respond so positively to that. And I kind of thought I knew why, right? Because we, she gets up earlier than me because I have to help with our daughter before my mother-in-law gets here, etc. But I said, you know, why do you seem so against that? And she said, I'm just picturing us in retirement and you sleeping all day and me getting up and wanting to do things. And that's not a very happy like picture for me. And I'm like, your mind really went there. I kind of have no idea that that's what was in your mind. Right? Um, you would so you,
0: never have predicted that. No. I, you could have written down a hundred possible things that she was thinking. And I bet that was not the one of them.
2: Not at all. I couldn't believe it. Right. And I mean, there's stuff like that all the time, right? We're just in very different places. And I'm usually not considering that. And like you said, the same thing happens professionally. So yes. I'm curious, how do we start to mitigate that then? How 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 should we approach somebody knowing that their head's probably in a different place to get them aligned quickly?
0: Yeah, there's there are three things you can do. And these things are very short and very simple. In the first 15, 10 to 15 seconds of any conversation, you can give your audience the three things they need to be ready and prepared and engaged with what you want to talk about. So when we start talking, we need to provide context. And we've just talked about this. You need to name the topic that you're going to talk about.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So step one, provide context. Say, hey, I want to talk about this project, or I want to talk about dinner, or I want to talk about the budget next week. That's the first thing, context. The second thing is intent. What do you intend for the other person to do with this information? Am I asking you a question? Am I giving you an action? Am I giving you a heads up that something is coming? Do I need your help? We need to know what intent is when we receive information for our brains to know how to process it. There's a lot of science on on this as to how our brains process things in different areas of the head, depending whether we're being told a story or asked a question. So while you're speaking, if the audience doesn't know what you intend for them to do with that information, their brains aren't listening to you. Their brains are going, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? What do I do with this? So after you've provided context, I want to talk about the project. And name the project and just say arbitrarily, (laughs) I want to talk about any project. I want to talk about this specific project. I need your help, or I have information for you, or can you help me? That's the intent. The third thing is a key message, which is a summary, like a headline for the thing you're going to talk about. And the way to think about this is when you switch on the news, they don't dive straight into a story. They say, hey, in sports, this team was playing and they had an amazing field goal. And then they go into the story. You get that 10-second, 15-second framing of what the topic is about, which means you're then ready to hear it. So context, intent, and key message, and all of those things will answer the first questions that your audience will have and it'll push everything else out of their mind. Almost everything else, depending how busy they are, but it'll it'll help move other topics out of their mind so they can focus on the thing that you want to talk about.
2: And that's what you call framing, I guess. So that's the process of going framing, through the framing. Yes. Yeah. It's it's how no, I really like to frame
0: the conversation. Yeah. No, and that's probably
2: I mean, if you're not used to doing that, that takes some practice, right? And takes some preparation. Like before I go talk to my boss, I need to think about those core concepts.
0: Yes. Yes, it does. It does take practice. The good news is it doesn't take years of practice and it's not half an hour to prepare it. You can think about it in about 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. And the the trick that helped me when I learned this and that I've taught to other people is just say the words to yourself. All right. My context or my topic is this. My intent is this. And the message is that. So you only need to remember three words to give you the structure to start any conversation. Okay.
2: Okay. So that is the first 15 seconds of the first minute, right? Now we have their attention and their focus. How should we, how can we kind of present the problem, the information, whatever, in a way that is most effective?
0: Yes. You need, we need to summarize things. Any conversation ever is a summary of a much bigger topic. If we wanted to talk about uh, the status of a piece of work, you don't have three days to give every possible granular detail about that status of that piece of work. Every conversation is a summary. And just like starting the news, you should start your conversation after you framed it with a summary, a three-line summary. And anything can be summarized in three lines. The way to do this is to think about, it's a three-part process where you describe the goal that you're trying to achieve, the problem that's standing between you and the goal, and the solution to that problem. I'll unpack those a, a little bit. So it's goal, problem, solution is how you create a summary. And that summary can take 30 to 45 seconds to deliver. And you've given a really solid first minute of a discussion. And the reason it works is everything we do at work is about achieving goals. Companies have goals to get market share, make a certain amount of money, get customer satisfaction to a certain level, sell a product. Companies have goals. And when we work for companies, our jobs are to help achieve those goals. And the goals can be big, get 10% of market share, or they can be small, make sure we don't run out of printer paper. Everything we do at work is about achieving a goal. So when you summarize a topic at work, start with what's the goal? What's the point on the horizon or the flag in the ground that you're trying to reach? And that helps your audience understand where you're trying to get to or where you want them to try and get to. This is the goal. The second thing to consider is our jobs are about solving problems that stand between us and those goals. Because if those goals could be achieved automatically, we wouldn't have jobs. If, if 10% market share happened by clicking your fingers, sales teams wouldn't have a job. If we could magically put a, a person on the moon, there'd be a lot of engineers in NASA without, without much to do. So work is about solving problems. So the second thing in the summary is, here's the problem, is standing between me and the goal. And this is the problem I want to talk about. And the third part of the summary is the solution what am I, you, we going to do about that problem? So an example is we need to make sure the printer doesn't run out of paper. The problem is there was a water leak and all the paper is ruined. The solution is, can you help me get some from another department? That's a summary of a conversation that could have rambled about what is the leak? Why did it happen? How much paper was ruined? Cuts out all of that. It just says, we need printer paper. Here's why we don't have any. Here's what we want to do about it. Mm -hmm. Goal problem solution means you can summarize anything into three lines to then begin to have the conversation you want, which is focused on solving the problem.
2: I love the solution orientation there. And that also takes some preparation. You can't just come with, hey, here's the problem, fix it for me, or tell me how to fix it. You have to come with some thought about a solution, even if it's, I need your help to figure this out. Here's some ideas I might have. I don't know if they're good, but what are your thoughts on them, right? So, and and managing people in the past, that's always been very important for me and very important for me also when I'm talking to my managers to always be solutions oriented. So if I'm on the other side of that conversation and I'm receiving that summary and there isn't that solution there, right? It's all problem, problem, problem. Any thoughts on how I can get them to shift their focus towards solution and and kind of stop focusing so much on the problem? Because that's always been a challenge for me. I see them problem, problem, problem. I either give them a solution too fast, don't get them thinking about it, or I just get like frustrated and I don't know what the solution is. So I'm curious of how I can get them thinking about the
0: solution. Yeah, it's it's a common situation for a lot of people. And I think the first thing is that if someone's coming to you with a problem, listen. Listening is is a very powerful thing to do. There's a lot of focus on everyone improving their listening skills at the moment. And the reason I say the first thing you should do is listen it's because someone's overcome a few barriers to come to you and talk about a problem. It's brave to talk about a problem with a manager Mm. because there are all the concerns as to, well, they're going to think it's my fault. Do we, what are the repercussions of this? Do I look like a failure? All of those things might be in people's minds. So if they're coming to you with a problem, do take the time to listen. There then comes the point that either the one conversation is really long about the same problem and they're not getting to a solution, or as you, you mentioned, people are just coming to you with problems and they never come with solutions. And in both of those cases, you can use the structure from both framing and structured summary to help guide them to communicate with you in a, a better, more solution-focused way. And you can do that by, when they've told you the problem, You can repeat back what you've heard using goal problem and what you believe the solution is. Or as the solution, you can say, so what do you think we should do about this? Which then forces the question, and they have to think somewhat on the spot, but they have to think about what the solution is. So that's how you can do it in the moment. And then using this framework, you can do it as a longer term development tool as part of their ongoing communication skills development by saying, hey, there's a technique that you can use that will help you think about solutions. It's better to come with solutions, structure what you want to say like this, goal, problem, solution, and then we can talk about solutions. Even if you don't know what it is and you're just asking for help, that is still a valid solution part of a a summary, is just to say, hey, I need some help with this. But it gets them thinking about solutions. And it also means the last thing that they say is solution-oriented. So they're focusing on what happens next rather than dwelling on what happened in the past.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I think that that's really powerful. Last thing I want to touch on is just the power of brevity. So I have a trouble being brief, right? I'm very, I'm intuitive, like I'm an intuitive thinker and processor. So I kind of feel my way through conversations, which makes them way more wordy and less focused than they should be. <laughs> so any guidance just in general on how I can be more focused and, and more brief and just in general, how we can all focus a little bit more on brevity.
0: Yes. It's a hard thing to do. And I, this is my topic. And I think as you've found in some of my answers, I struggle to really keep it tight as well. What stops me going way off the reservation and keeps me somewhat on track is I use the goal problem solution. I use the the framing context, intent, and key message as signposts, as waypoints in the map of the conversation I want to have. So when I start a conversation, I know I have a certain intent. By the end of it, I want to have achieved this thing. So if I know the intent, my way to get there is to define the goal, state what the problem is, and then talk about the solution. And if I find myself going off, I've got those three points to remind me that I can't go too far away. And I've got an internal monologue saying, well, am I still talking about the goal? Or does this help me get to my solution? And if the answer is no, I can bring myself back by literally saying one of the words. So I've gone off way on the side. I could say, oh, sorry, let me restate what my, what the goal is. Mm-hmm. Dum, dum, dum. Now here's the problem. Dum, 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 dum. Can we talk about the solution or the next steps or whatever the action is? And by literally using those words, it's like having little beacons that bring me back to the direction that I, I want to head in and get me another step closer to a successful conversation. You still go in different directions, but but those things help keep you on a straighter path.
2: I love how just kind of keeping those three words can help in so many different ways, right? So it's preparing and leading the conversation. It's listening and trying to shift to, if on the other end of the conversation, trying to shift towards solutions. And it's even making sure I don't go off the path and I'm staying more and more focused using the bring me back to focus. It's pretty easy to remember three words. So that I mean, there's more to it than that, right? But at the core, if you're doing the preparation, thinking about it, then at the core, those three words can be your guideposts. And I think that's really powerful.
0: Absolutely. I like simple. Three words, two tools, three words each. It, it, I, I couldn't make it any simpler than that.
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it. So just last couple questions I'd like to ask everybody who I have on the show. The first is around the power of conversations, right? I'm a big believer that just one significant conversation can really impact the path that you take in life. So I always like to ask my guests if there's one conversation you can point to that had a really big impact on your life that you'd be willing to share.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I was very fortunate to be in a room for half a day with a chap called Dave Evans, and he's a professor from Stanford University and he co-wrote a book called Designing Your Life. Mm. And in that that session, it was a half day training But there were some individual conversations. The purpose of designing your life is he provides a mechanism by which you can identify the job, the work, the mission that will bring you the most joy in your life. And I was at a a turning point in my career where I was in a very high-stress position, dealing with mergers and acquisitions, very high-value joint ventures, running big teams, lots of short deadlines – And I was feeling the stress and I had a probably five minutes one-on-one with him. And it was a very powerful conversation because he asked me some questions that got me thinking about what I really wanted in my life. And this was two years ago. And now I spend my time helping other people communicate better. And I love doing that. And I would never have made that change, that significant change in my career from being employed in a steady job to being a, a coach and instructor on something that I love. And I traced it back to that one conversation with Dave Evans. That's awesome.
2: That's awesome. And I, I think a conversation we'd all like, love to have because you know who knows what they want to be when they grow up. Right? I'm, still, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm still trying to figure that out every day. I go back and forth on it. Very cool. So second question, if you think about all that you've accomplished so far, if there's one communication skill that you could have had in more abundance that would have made it a lot easier, what would that have been?
0: I'm torn between two, but I'll I'll pick one and it's asking questions rather than making statements. Mm. I had and still have a tendency to make declarative statements when I believe something is true, rather than asking a question. And by doing that, the consequences are either you shut down conversation because people don't want to debate, um, you can show yourself to to be inaccurate. You can be the guy who opens his mouth and proves that he's an idiot rather than having people maybe, maybe not think that. And it took me a long time to learn the importance and the power of that, particularly when dealing with teams, working with colleagues, or just trying to communicate in general. So I, I wish that earlier in my life, I'd learned to ask questions rather than make statements. And I wish I was better at it now as well.
2: Yeah, no, definitely powerful, especially from a leadership perspective, teaching your folks to think on their own versus thinking for them. And it's certainly a struggle I have too. So last question, either alive or dead, somebody, you know, or just know of who's the best communicator that, you know,
0: I, this is one of my, the questions that I, I listen really intently when you ask this on your show, because you find a lot about people you're like, Oh, I need to learn more about that individual. Yeah. And Mine is it's Aaron Sorkin, mm. and he he's the the right. He's a screenwriter. He wrote a lot of lot of plays. He did The West Wing. The I New love Shrug, West Wing. New Good Men, and he is a masterful storyteller, mm-hmm. and he does it with complex topics, some topics that are pretty boring, like politics. Behind the scenes politics is not something people get excited about, but he tells a story in pulling together information and entertainment and emotion and it's compelling and that you have to be able to understand how to communicate emotion, feeling, thought, intent, all of those things. So I, I think he is just an exceptional communicator. He's also quite interesting to listen to. Mm-hmm. His, his interviews are are interesting. He's well-spoken. So Aaron Sorkin is is the person who I think is is great. That's
2: interesting. A person I love, Aaron Sorkin, and I love West Wing. And the other challenge about telling those kinds of topics, especially when you talk about political stuff, even back then when the show was out, it's, it can be very charged and very easy to come across as super one side versus the other. And it's very hard to do in a balanced way. Folks might disagree with me, but I felt like he did it in a pretty balanced way, obviously through the lens of one side of the argument, given who the primary characters were, but still in a balanced way. Yeah. Also just the wit and the speed and kind of the liveliness of the banter and the dialogue really powerful. Actually, I don't know if you have it, but we have a masterclass. Me and my kids, we love kind of the masterclass, the app and the website, if you're familiar with it. Aaron Sorkin does uh, a class on screenwriting, which is really, really cool and oh. kind of how he does it. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Oh, but no, that's, that's awesome. I love Aaron Sorkin. So um, final question, where can folks find you and connect with you?
0: Okay, You can find me at chrisfenning.com and my main social hangout is LinkedIn. That's where I spend most of my time
2: okay cool in the book the first minute they can get anywhere books are sold right
0: yes yep it's available online offline bookstores through my site Uh, pick up a copy
2: very cool and you are in new zealand but you do coaching globally right
0: i'm in the netherlands oh netherlands i'm
2: sorry mix it up that's countries i'm sorry
0: (laughs) i've been in three countries in the last year currently and for the foreseeable future it's the netherlands very cool uh, never been there do a lot of stuff in India and in the States and some stuff in Australia as well, and all around Europe. So yes, so if you're listening to this in a different country, don't worry about time zones. I, I make things fit.
2: I love it. And I can attest to that. So Chris, thanks so much for the time today. I thought it was brief and focused and, and it was just really cool. I learned a ton. I think this is a topic that we don't think enough about. Um, how can we make the conversations that we have more impactful and more focused? Um, because like I said earlier, my, myself included, I tend to be very verbose and all over the place. And especially in work settings, we can save so much time and accomplish so much more if we're all focused in the same way. And I also love the power of teaching this system to your entire team so that everybody's using it. I think it really pay off. So thank you for taking the time to share it with us and sharing all your insight.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me as a guest. I've really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.